The future is now. Finding the NOSO has never been easier. Subscribe to us on our new YouTube channel, follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and TikTok, and bookmark the new home for No Holds Barred, The Jenny Position, Wrestling War Zone, and all your favorite NOSO podcasts at NorthSouthConnection.com. It's New Year, New NOSO, NorthSouthConnection.com. This podcast is a member of the Place to Be Nation family. Visit us at placetobenation.com, the only place to be in your pop culture world. Place to be, nah, dude. Come over here, this where it's at. Yo, 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 yo. Place to be is on my side, dude. Cause you don't wanna be the target when I fly the coop. Nah, place to be is on my side, dude. Cause you don't wanna be the target when I fly the coop. Buenos dias. Come on, come on. It, we call it the, uh, the place, the place to be. Yeah, then I shall be. It is contagious. It is the place to be. And we are live each and every Monday. To, to, to do worse than Josh Richard. Place to Be Nation proudly presents a powerful pair of pro wrestling pundits. It's JT Rosero and Scott Criscolo. And this is the Place to Be Podcast. And welcome back to the great episode of the one and only Place to Be Podcast. I'm your host, Justin Rosero. Coming to you here on this Monday evening. And joining me, as always, is my PIC, Mr. Scott Criscolo. Scott, how are you? Good evening, JR. Good evening, PTV Wrestling Network loyalists, fans, and family. Welcome to episode 626 of the longest running episodic fucking gold. 626. 74. The seven bills. Um... How are you, JR? We're in the spring, heading into summer. We are. Weather's good here in New England. Uh, yeah, it's been very nice. Isn't this weird? I think it's the first. Is this the first winter here in the Northeast? And our 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 the, the third member of our Trinity tonight could probably also say this since he lives around here. I, I would say this is probably the first winter in maybe six or seven years where he didn't at least have one like bonker of a of a blizzard. No, right? I mean, we didn't really get much at all. I think I only shoveled once. Yeah, right? Maybe yeah. like that one weekday we had like a few inches that came out of nowhere. But other than that, we were pretty lucky. It was cold. And I felt like it was just perpetually gray. I feel like between New Year's Day and like Easter, I feel like the sun came out like three times <laughs> in fucking three months. It was one of those winters where it wasn't blizzardy, but just like every day the sky was gray. Or it'd be sunny for like an hour. <laughs> so... So even though we didn't get snow, I'm pretty happy that the uh, that we're heading into spring. Well, also perpetually gray is the year 2009. <laughs> Most people's <laughs> memories, WWE. Yes. Uh, you know, so far so good though. I think we've we've yeah. still kind of been digging on the pay per views, right? That we've been watching. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we liked WrestleMania a lot, and the fallout from it was was strong as well. Uh, but we'll see because I think the onion starts to to rot very soon. 
Mm -hmm. uh, as we move into 09 and then it's a 10. So this is some interesting territory we're going to be approaching. And yes. to cover tonight's show, we're going to go ahead and bring in our good buddy, one of the hosts of GFA Live, uh, the Multiverse of Fabulousness. And you hear him kind of here and there and elsewhere in all of our networks. He does uh, a million shows. That's our good buddy, Biggie Keith E. Langston. Keith, how are you? Hey, guys. What's going on? It's great to be here. I am always ex I am always excited to be on the place to be. So, yeah, what's up? <laughs> well, Good to have I just you know on. you really wanted to dig on 2009, WWE. That's the real reason. <laughs> <laughs> well, yes, 2009. What a year! Uh, <laughs> that was a good year in baseball. Uh, well, maybe uh, for those. You yes. Know, for some of those. <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, well, tonight we are going to cover Extreme Rules 2009, but as we always do on this show, Scott, we're going to travel back in time to the year 1995, 14 years back, and uh, dig into mm -hmm. what was going on in the world of wrestling this very week in that year. All right. Well, uh, on this date, June 7th, uh, 1995, the WWF uh, was off. There was no house shows no tapings however i found on this date was a fascinating wcw uh day we had a saturday night taping uh at the theater of course in uh hotlanta <laughs> 785 it's a sellout all freebies so is it really a sellout <laughs> or is it just full sure um you know anyway we do have uh, a saturday night taping uh, that would get us through June into early July of 1995. And there is a fascinating segment that I must read to you, gentlemen, that maybe you remember. It took place on the July. It would it would have been the July 1st, 1995 episode of Saturday Night. Okay, ready? Here we go. All right. Featured an uh, opening promo by Johnny B. Bad and Diamond Dallas Page alongside the Diamond Doll regarding their match later in the show. It included Eric Bischoff subbing for Tony Schiavone and Bobby Heenan on commentary. Featured footage of, ready for this? Here we go. Dave Sullivan's date with the Diamond Doll in which he took her to see the Lion King <laughs> and then to a fancy restaurant Ooh. with the Doll teaching Dave how to eat with his eating utensils and telling him her name was Kimberly. Interesting. <laughs> Moments later, a man dressed as a bunny Hopped into the restaurant. We feel like this shit happened in 2000 WWF. Uh, gave Dave a telegram, which Kimberly then read. The man then read the telegram that implied Dave ate rabbit stew made of Ralph, which was his rabbit. Mm -hmm. Dave then ran back out to his car and found his rabbit safe inside. Diamond Dallas Page, alongside Max Muscle, yes, then jumped Dave from behind and ran off as a police officer ran to Dave's rescue. Featured a vignette. Uh, so there you go. To Dave's rescue. So there's that. Then there's stuff about the Dungeon of Doom and Hogan and all sorts of Vader and all that kind of mid-95 stuff. But uh, so, so they were sending Vader on a roadkill tour to, mm -hmm. to, to prove what he has. Vader then said he feared nothing and walked off. Sullivan later laughing after saying Vader would have to get the job done against Hogan alone. Featured Okerlund conducting a closing interview with Savage regarding his match the next night against Bubba. Uh, and facing Flair at Bash at the Beach. So I had to read you guys that about uh, Evad there. And I don't know if he was called Evad yet, but. Um, uh, yeah, I think he had he, been. Uh, about, no, because... Johnny B. Bad. Had... I think he was Evad first okay. with, so... when he was with Kevin. And then when he turns, he becomes Dave. Oh, okay. So uh, so there you go. That was, the, that was what was going on uh, today, June 7th, 1995. Uh, WWF had nothing. Of course, they were. 
pumping, prepping for the giant, super awesome King of the Ring pay-per-view. Mm. Coming up, well, I'm sure we'll we'll hear a little curb about that. The awesome King of the Ring uh, pay-per-view coming up uh, in Philly later in the month. Uh, that's all I have. Uh, speaking of curb, uh, Jr., why don't we fire up a little bit of him and see what he had cooking in early, late May, early June of '95. All right, we got a batch of three Herb Coons tidbits here. So let's dive in. I'm going to start with May 19th, 1995. Slamboree is this Sunday. Hulk Hogan and Randy Savage with the Renegade versus Vader and Ric Flair with Arn Anderson. Sting versus Big Bubba Rogers. Kevin Sullivan versus The Man with No Name. Nasty Boys versus Holler Meat for the tag team titles. Great Muta versus Paul Orndorff for the IWGP title. Arn Anderson versus Alex Wright for the TV title. And Wahoo McDaniel versus Dick Murdoch. In addition, there'll be an induction ceremony for several legends, with the most people expecting Ric Flair to attack Angelo Poffo. Antonio Inoki will also be inducted, and several New Japan wrestlers will be in attendance as well. It was announced this past week that Terry Funk is going in the Hall of Fame. The show's being advertised here for a cheaper $24.95 price. It was once reported that all Hogan shows would say at $27.95, and non-Hogan would be $24.95. So you're going to want to see Hogan. You're going to pay the extra 3 bucks for sure to get him on the show. Yes. My God. There was some discussion in the Observer about Steve Austin refusing to put Renegade over at the recent Orlando Worldwide tapings. He was asked to carry Renegade through a 30-second match. Carry. Carry him through a 30-second match and do a quick job. Meltzer reports that Hogan, Savage, and Jimmy Hart have been training the Renegade to get through 30-second bouts. Austin <laughs> didn't bow to the pleading of Flair and Anderson to go along with the booking. Anderson will apparently do the job for Renegade at the bash. The only other interesting item for the tapings is that Heat wore the tag titles. The wonderful Juventud Guerrero versus Rey Mysterio Jr. WWA Jr. title match aired on Galavision this past weekend. The match was a great blend of AAA and Japanese juniors. He kind of just goes on about the match. Brad Armstrong and the Patriot, our history of WCW. Patriot will return to all Japan. I wonder what this means for Marcus Bagwell. The U.S. title tournaments come down to two semifinals, Sting versus Ming and Flair versus Wright. Melser reports that Dan Spivey will be using the name Waylon Mercy in WWF, and he'll dye his hair black. Jim Ross really? would like to get Johnny Ace and Steve Williams to come in. No shit. WCW has a great American bash on June 18th. Lineup includes no Hulk Hogan, Randy Savage versus Ric Flair, Steiners versus Nasty Boys, Sting versus Ming, Diamond Dallas Page versus Dave Sullivan, Jim Duggan versus Kamala, Arn Anderson versus the Renegade, and Brian Pillman versus Alex Wright. King of the Ring is on June 25th. The next UFC is July 14th, featuring Dan Severn versus Ken Shamrock Superfight. WCW also has a pay-per-view on July 16th. Tentative lineup is Rick Hulk Hogan versus Vader for the title in a cage, and the, and the show takes place on a beach with free admission. SummerSlam on August 28th. So that is it. Uh, let's get a long interview here. Recap of interview with Jim Cornette. Uh, any thoughts on that batch there, Keithy? Wow, um, that's a that's a lot of Sting versus Ming. I just like that. Just that's a they should run that a thousand times. Um, <laughs> I mean, it's the, the Hogan getting the extra three dollars is just great. <laughs> it's just so funny. Uh, I was trying to think. I don't did Hogan kind of not defend his title at every pay per view. It kind of seemed like in that ninety that first run. I feel like he didn't. I feel like there was a lot of. A lot of tag matches and just like, or he wasn't, or, or it's not even on. Yeah, there's a bunch yeah. of reasons it's not even on. That's crazy. I think yeah. his his yeah. original contract had limited dates, like so they only had, you know, I yeah. think Sting had a contract like that too, where it's just like once they used up those dates, like you're on ice pretty much for the year. So he had the he had the Brock Lesnar contract <laughs> twenty years beforehand. Yeah, 
But uh, no, yeah, that's a uh, good old Herb, huh? One of the greats. Uh, I like that he did have the uh, he did hit the nail with Waylon Mercy though. That mm-hmm. was pretty. Uh, well, I'm guessing Vignette had probably already started airing or something. Yeah. Or did he? Show, you think maybe. so? June? You think '95? Yeah, I guess so. Right. He's yeah. in there by um, I want to say July ish, because I I think. He has a match where he kills Doink, and they all chant "Kill the clown," and that's his last. I think that's like July. Is that, is that Doink? Is that the end of Doink? That's Doink's last match. It's on Raw. Yeah. <laughs> Waylon Mercy beats him, and they chant, uh, "Fans are chanting, kill the clown." Kill the clown. Wow. Uh, sounds like a Boston show. The, the man, <laughs> the man with no name. God, I love that. For poor Brutus, poor brother Brutus. Well, then he was a man with no face, wasn't he? At one point in there somewhere. <laughs> yeah, <with> no face. <laughs> that's Christian. With the blue dot over his face. Yes. <laughs> oh, God. That's crazy. All right. May 26, 1995. Presumably an attempt to make house shows more important. They did a quick IC title change, passing the belt to Razor Ramon last Friday and back to Jeff Jarrett on Sunday. <coughs> Jarrett is now saying he's given Ramon enough title matches and he's out of luck. I guess they'll stay on the tag team program for a while of Ramon and Vega versus Jarrett and Rhodey. Mm-hmm. Melzer reports that Steve Austin has been talked into doing the quickie job for Renegade at center stage, followed by another quickie job for Randy Savage. In return for these booking plans, there's a chance they may reunite the Hollywood Blondes. After his loss at Slamboree on Sunday, Ed Butcher Leslie has parted ways with WCW, if only. It's been rumored that Hogan was trying hard to convince the company to keep him around, but it wasn't possible to justify his $2,000 a week salary. <laughs> That's terrible. <laughs> Flair versus Alex Ray U.S. Tourney match airs this weekend. Ends with Randy Savage running in to beat up Flair, leading to Alice's DQ. I think a lot of Flair the wrestler. I get to wonder sometimes about Flair the booker. As already reported, the Steiners will not be working WCW pay-per-views. They're spending time in Smoky Mountain in between New Japan dates. Great American Bash on June 18th. No Hogan, Savage Flair, Blue Bloods, Nasty Boys, Sting versus Ming, Paige Sullivan, Duggan Kamala, Renegade Arn, Pillman Wright, King of the Ring on June 25th. So far, Mabel, Razor Bone, Shawn Michaels, Kama, Undertaker, and Bob Holly have qualified. Next UFC is a super fight, Severn Shamrock. WCW pay-per-view on July 16th on the beach. Orndorff versus Anderson or Renegade for TV title. And Hogan versus Vader in the cage. Summer Sam's August 28th. So kind of not much else going on there. Just more of the Cornette interview. And let's just quickly get to our last batch from June 1st. DF has a WrestleMania special on NBC this Sunday night, presumably airing the Bigelow versus Lawrence Taylor and Diesel versus Shawn Michaels matches. Techno Team 2000, Eric Watson, Chad Fortune, Bill this Troy and Travis have debuted on Superstars this past weekend and instantly challenged the Bushwhackers for the worst tag team of the big two. <laughs> Due to the doing high quality editing, they switch angles right before moves are hit or missed. In this case, it came off a little less poorly than it was more to a critical eye. While Watts is experienced superior wrestler on a team, the team is in severe trouble. How the heck did they get a job? The Ross effect. There's a fair bit of talk that Dustin Rhodes is on the way to WWF. There's some other weird talk that the current feud between Bret Hart and Jerry Lawler and Hakushi that Bret will find a tag partner and chase Owen and Yokozuna for the tag team titles. <laughs> He then runs through some tapes of uh, Smoky Mountain Fan Week he got. So he talks about that. The Observer outside estimates pegged the WF in your house buy rate at 0.83, one of the lowest ever for the company. Estimates for the Slamboree buy rate were 0.6 to 0.77. I've heard the 0.6 buy rate more frequently, and there's even talk that the low number, the lowest since Hogan arrived, is being blamed on Flair's lack of credibility. Uh, WCW has the Great American Bash on June 18th. <clears throat> Pretty much the same card. Just added Pittman versus Bagwell. King of the Ring on June 25th. Sid and Tatanka versus Bigelow and Diesel. And then the same guy still in the qualifiers. UFC on June 14th. Uh, Bash the Beach on the 16th. 
WCW airing a taped pay-per-view on August 4th featuring the New Japan trip to Korea. The show will be just priced at $12.95. It will feature Anoki versus Flair, the Steiners versus Hase and Sasaki, Hawk versus Yasuda, Bull Nakano versus Akira Hokuro, Scott Norton and Masachono versus Akira Nogami and Takayuki Izaka, Wild Pegasus versus Hukul Scorpio, Black Cat versus El Samurai, and Hiro Saito versus Yuji Nagata. SummerSlam is on August 28th. And that is that. So any uh, quick thoughts there on the last herbs? I mean, I didn't see anything. I've seen pretty cut and dry to me. Um, it's kind of cool hearing like about. He must have had a, a thing with Cornette. I think he's just reading an interview that was like in a magazine or something. He like used to transcribe shit like that. I, I like yeah. hearing about uh, Ken Shamrock like yeah. a couple years before he breaks into wrestling. That's kind of cool. Like you forget that he was like a big deal before. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. At least sometimes yeah. I do, you know. Mm. All right. All right. So that's it for Herb. We talked about Ed Leslie. No name, no face, and sometimes maybe no heart. No job. No job. Yeah, no job and, and no heart, maybe. <laughs> or maybe the heart's just hidden from us, guys. Maybe mm. it's hidden by the sun or the moon. <laughs> maybe it's a total eclipse of the heart. Yeah. Of course, the number three song in the nation tonight. Nikki French's version, Total Eclipse of the Heart. Uh, we already covered one and two previously, so this is our third uh, song here. The other two are still holding steady, but Scott Criscolo, take us back to our vintage retro pop culture. Uh, thank you, Jr. Uh, yes, uh, it's funny how uh, how popular that song is. Period. Obviously, the original by Bonnie Tyler did so well in the '80s. Nikki French, probably the only thing she ever did, and it uh, it made it pretty high. So it was up to number three this week, uh, the week ending June 10th, 1995. Brian Adams back at number one with uh, "Have You Ever Really Loved a Woman." Montel at number two, then Nikki at three. "Water Runs Dry" by Boys to Men at four. Don't Take It Personal by Monica at five. Uh, I'll Be There For You by... Yeah, but uh, uh, I'll Be There For You. You're All I Need by Method Man and Mary J. Blige at six. Mm -hmm. Freak Like Me, Adina Howard at seven. I Believe by Blessed with an I. Union of Souls at eight. I Know by Dion Farris. There's an earworm. And Let Her Cry by Hootie and the Blowfish at ten. Did you say Freak Like Me or Freak Like Keith? I'm a freak because I like—I still like Hootie and the Blowfish still to this day. So you know, of course, oh, they're 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 great. But uh, there's only one freak like you. But uh, yeah. I should be very proud of that. So there you go. There's your top ten uh, on Billboard charts this week in 1995. Let's go from music to movies. Uh, what interesting movies? 1995, as we've seen Jr. throughout the, the year, has been a very strange, wonky uh, year in movies. So let's go through the top ten uh, this week, this weekend. Uh, in 1995 number 10 mad love number nine oh my god probably one of the more forgotten uh keanu reeves movies johnny mnemonic oh, i was just gonna say is it johnny mnemonic it's absolutely johnny mnemonic like, <laughs> that movie is absolutely atrocious anyway uh while you were sleeping at eight uh forget paris at seven crimson tide at six uh braveheart is at five 
uh, doing very well. Uh, Die Hard with a Vengeance at four. And then these top three. Oof. The Bridges of Madison County. I mean, it made good money, but it's one of, you know, Clint's uh, sappier movies. Uh, Casper at number two. Uh, good Lord. And uh, number one for this week, making its debut weekend, Congo. Mm. I don't think I've ever even seen Congo. I don't even know who's in that. JR, do you remember Congo? Um, no, is that the name? Uh, no. Don't, I don't remember. Congo is... With the ape, right? Yeah, Congo's the... Oh, the only thing I remember is that there's that scene where Tim Curry is eating, like, sesame cake. And then um, the guy that's like the the guy goes, please put down my sesame cake. Yeah, yep. <laughs> came out. Yep, it came out on this date, June 9th, nineteen ninety five. Uh, budget of fifty million, made one hundred fifty two. Uh, starred Laura Linney, Dylan Walsh, Ernie Hudson, Grant Hesloff, Joe Don Baker. Oh, well, that'll make any movie great. And uh, Tim Curry, mm. uh, Michael Crichton, Frank Marshall was the director. Michael Crichton wrote the book. Yeah, it's a Michael Crichton book. That's what it uh, is. Yeah. Yeah, while searching for but, rare blue diamonds that led to a new revolutionary communications laser, Travicom employees Charles Travis and Jeffrey Weems, blah, 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 and it has to do with a, guess. With a gorilla. With a gorilla. So there's your uh, movies for this weekend in 1995. Not overly impressive. Uh, all right, let's go now to uh, the playoffs in hockey and in the NBA. As a matter of fact, one of the most memorable games in NBA Finals history happened on this date. We'll get to that in a minute. But there was one uh, playoff game. It was game five of the uh, – wait, was it game five? No, I'm sorry, game four of the Eastern Conference Finals between the Flyers and the Devils. Flyers won three to two in overtime, tying the series at two. Of course, the Devils would go on to win that series and then beat uh, sweep the Detroit Red Wings to win the, uh, to win the cup in what was that strike that strike tight uh, year. Uh, uh, beginning of the Devils just grinding every freaking team down with, with defense yep, and yep, beat the shit yep. out of them. Exactly. And just score two goals and Marty Bredore makes 99 <laughs> saves. That's pretty much mm-hmm. what won the three cups over the next eight years. So there you go. So anyway, but also on this date was game one of the 1995 NBA finals between the defending world champion Houston Rockets and the Orlando Magic. Course, Nick Anderson the, and his free throws. The Nick Anderson <laughs> meltdown game. Orlando led 110-107 with 10 and a half seconds left. Nick Anderson would miss four straight free throws. Brutal. Kenny Smith would tie the game with a three, and the uh, Rockets would go on to win in overtime uh, by the score of 120-118. to Magic were never the same. And the Rockets swept him in four straight for the lone world title of Clyde Drexler's career. And Nick Anderson, honestly, would never be the same. No. Shaq would play one more year in Orlando. And then, mm-hmm. of course, he would go to the Lakers. Um, Penny Penny would last, what, maybe two more years in Orlando, probably? Three, I would think. And then he pretty much bails. Where'd he go to Phoenix, I think? No. Yeah. <clears throat> Something, Something like that. that. Yeah. So Orlando had their one... Good thirty. Does he go to Houston? Does he go to Houston too? No. Uh, does does he go to Houston? Um, let me th- let me. See. Oh no, it's Phoenix. You're right. It's Orlando, Phoenix, Knicks, Heat. 
Okay. I do remember him playing for the Knicks, but I do know I'm pretty uh, – yeah, he definitely went to uh, yeah, Orlando. He's, close, he's in Orlando until 99, so he's there for a bit. Oh, wow. Okay. Well, he gets hurt a bunch and everything. Yeah, yeah he's yeah, bad ankles and that kind of stuff. Um, now, as we mentioned, the uh, Major League Baseball season in 1995 started late because of the strike from the previous year. So they're trying to play catch up. All the teams in action on this date. Uh, Red Sox fan, I assume, Keithy. Uh, the mm-hmm. the Sox won uh, five to one over the Angels. Roger Clemens got the win. Uh, the uh, Yankees, what they do on this day? They beat Oakland six to one behind a rookie, Jr. A rookie starting pitcher. Actually, it is the first major league win. Andy Pettit for Andy Pettit. Correct. Wow. Beat the A's six to one in the Bronx, and the Mets lost to the uh, Giants nine to eight. So at this point in the season, in 1995, Boston was leading the AL East at 25 and 12. Woo-hoo. Yeah, nine games ahead of the Orioles, nine and a half ahead of the Yankees and the uh, Blue Jays. Uh, in the in the Central, though, best record was clearly the Cleveland Indians at 27 and 10. This was the first of their powerhouse teams. Uh, Angels led the West by a half game over Texas. Uh, Phillies were leading the East by two and a half over Atlanta and four over Montreal. Cincinnati led the Central by two over the uh, Cubs. And the Giants had a half game lead over Colorado in the West. Uh, the Of course, the uh, fifth season of Beverly Hills 90210 uh, concluded Obviously, we, we mentioned at JR, I think on our last show, the, the big things were huge changes to the cast. We said mm-hmm. we said goodbye. We, we do say goodbye to Andrea as a regular. And we say and probably right for this for these two. Andrea, Lee, Andrea leaving was tough because she seemed to sometimes, for the most part, be the moral compass, even though she had a very smarmy fifth season. But uh, we say goodbye to Jim and Cindy. Yes. Uh, Jim and Cindy go to Hong Kong. Uh, smart move. I know you'll get you and uh, Tim will get to this down the line on uh, 902 and no. So I know you got a few seasons to get to get there, but quickly, do you, do you, um, was it a smart move to get rid of them or to, to, to have them off the show? Like, do you think the, they were too old at this point to have them around or well, I'm not too old, but I mean, with, with them, like in almost through college at this point ish or, you know, halfway through college, it felt like, you know, just kind of having them on their own to <clears throat> not have that moral compass in place. Right. Um, I mean, they do keep other parents around for a while, the Martins, right. et cetera. So I guess, I don't know. I mean, they probably could have found a way where they don't move like to a foreign country. Maybe they just move back to Minnesota or like just out of the Walsh house into like a condo in San Francisco, <laughs> like somewhere where right. they could have still been on, but not mm. in the day to day. You know? Yeah. Cause the premise pretty much um, starting in season six is that, everybody's living there, you know, Brandon, Steve, and, you know, and then others move in as time. I guess Valerie's mm-hmm. still there uh, on and off. So, but that was just interesting. So we look forward when we get to the fall for season six. Of course it was Valerie's first season and she killed it as we yes. know. And I believe this is the se- No season six is when Dylan leaves. We'll get to that down the line. All right. And that uh, will do it for our pop culture corner. All right. With all that said, we're going to go ahead and fast forward ahead 14 years to June 7th, 2009 for Extreme Rules. Define your meaning to 
Place in the New Orleans Arena, New Orleans, Louisiana, 9,124 in attendance, 213,000 buys. The first edition of Extreme Rules as a standalone brand after being a tagline of One Night Stand the last two years. Louisiana's second pay-per-view ever. The last one being Keith. Any idea? No. Okay. <laughs> okay. Yeah. 2001 Royal Rumble. Yeah. Oh, there it is. The 2001 Royal Rumble. That was the one. It's crazy, okay. though, on a side of before you go on, JR. It's funny, though, that, like, New Orleans, I mean, obviously, they love New Orleans now. I mean, we've had two manias and a bunch of other stuff. But mm -hmm. it's funny how early on in those, all those years of the Superdome, and they and Vince never thought to do a mania there until till a few years after this. Yeah, like, I, don't, I wonder why. Is the, the place where, like, the Pelicans play, is that, is that, like, a nice arena? Or is it newer or something? Because, like, maybe that was why. Because, obviously, they're not going to hold, like, a secondary show in the Superdome, you know? No, right. I'm just saying, like, at this point in 2009, they've never even done a, they haven't done a mania there, and the Superdome opened in 77. So, I mean, <laughs> even in, like, the 90s, you would, well, I mean, I guess it depends on the show. But even, been like, like, in... been, like, it, 20 it, Super Bowls in this. <laughs> I know, right? We do a Super, I feel like you do a Super Bowl there, like, every two years, but never a mania. Now Vince tries to beat other buildings to manias, which I, or WWE does. Yeah. Which is pretty funny, but anyway, Jr. I just want to make that point. Well, they didn't do a lot of domes, though. Even, I mean, you know, they did the Sky Dome, and I guess they did Safeco. But then even then, it was MSG, it was Rosemont again, it was LA. Like, you know, I guess they open it up a bit, and once it gets to 03 again, so yeah, I guess so. Yeah, I mean, I guess well, this is a whole stretch that could have well, done. But well, the last three years we've had Ford Field, we've had Ford mm -hmm. Field, and then now they hit the stretch though, because now the last three years you have Ford Field. Right. Bowl they they started to do the fields, right? We do a Phoenix coming up, and then yeah, yeah. So. Um, Atlanta. So I mean, this is you know, there's a bunch of Atlanta's pretty. I mean, they did Houston and Atlanta, which is pretty much New Orleans territory. So probably not right. That's true. Yeah. One in that spot. All right, we got a very simple opening video package. Uh, actually, hang on, a few more notes here. Sorry. On the May 25th, Raw was set to be held at the Pepsi Center in Denver. It was canceled at the last minute due to the Denver Nuggets being in the NBA playoffs, and the show was moved to the Staples Center in LA. The show opened with a recap of the switch and a Stan Kroenke impersonator came out and ran down the fans. Vince came out, had back and forth with the impersonator, shoved him to the map. In the main event, John Cena, Batista, MVP, Jerry Lawler, and Mr. Kennedy wore Lakers jerseys and defeated Legacy, Big Show, Miz, uh, and the Miz wearing Nuggets jerseys. This is a pretty famous Raw, if you remember. Yes. They were really pissed off. Um, I don't know what else they could have done. I mean, lobby the NBA to move the playoff game, I guess, but the team made the fucking playoffs, so. I'm not going to turn that down for Raw. And to my, to my knowledge, haven't they not been back to Denver since then? It's I possible. I, I swear they haven't been back to Denver since. Oh, they definitely. I don't. I think they definitely have not been there for uh, pay per view. For pay per view, definitely not. Oh. And unfortunately, there's no indoor. You can't really do a mania there because even in April, Denver is not warm. So you could do a SummerSlam at a uh, mile high. That'd be kind of cool. The SummerSlam you could definitely do. You can't do a mania there, but you could definitely do a SummerSlam there. And but but you're right. Uh, so Keith, I don't think just a stand. Yeah. That's so funny. That's absolutely hilarious. <laughs> that he won't go that he won't go back there. Mr. Frunky. All right. Uh May 29th, Mr. Kennedy was released. End of an era there. Uh that same day John Tolos passed away. He was known as a coach, coach. for a minute. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, and then on the 29th and 30th of May, house shows were canceled due to an outbreak of swine flu following a three-day tour of Mexico. So, <laughs> funny. It's like the shirt before the shirt, the pandemic before the pandemic. Swine yeah. Flu. I remember, like, 
Scott, it probably would have been would it have been St. Mary's, I guess. Where we had remember we had the beer pong with the swine flu rules where we weren't uh I think it's where we started doing water in the cups was around there. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh definitely. Yeah. The yeah. that was about this time that we stopped the the drinking and drinking out of the cups and all that. Oh yeah, yeah. definitely. It was the swine flu. It was around the swine flu era, I recall. Swine it flu. might have been that uh, it might have been that spring fest. That's a yeah. that's there. a glorious uh, that's a glorious change to the to the table games. <laughs> I know. Yeah, we're like, oh we're just gonna put water in the cup. And that's something we use to this day. Like we just stopped sharing cups at that point. But yeah, yeah it just it makes sense, right? Yeah, that's totally. why I think you know we're kind of immune to a lot of communicable diseases because we played so much beer pong in you know real bad settings to drink yeah. out of cups and yeah, ball absolutely. rolling through the dirt in my concrete basement. And just, you know, oh my god! <laughs> and, they, yeah. and they just dip it in the cup and go, "No, nah, it's fine." Yep, whatever. It yeah, it's all it good. It's all, all we're all good. using the same piss water. Yes. Oh, that, one, that one that one cup that you would use to clean the ball. <laughs> yep. oh, oh, yeah. ah. And everybody yep. was drinking out of the same cups for like six hours. <laughs> like nobody cared. <laughs> Those five years from like 2005 to 2010, <laughs> it was just, I don't know what the, how the hell anything goes. Die. Yeah, it was pretty great. That's <laughs> crazy. So. All right. We had well, one dark match here. Mickey James and Kelly Kelly took on Beth Phoenix and a Rosa Mendez. Then we get a simple uh, opening video hitting all the top feuds, focusing on the extreme aspect of the gimmicks. Michael Cole welcomes us into NOLA and gets us going with our opening match. Scott Criscolo. Why don't you lay that out for us? All right. Well, we have a title match. Uh, the United States title on the line. Your champion is Kofi Kingston, and he'll be taking on MVP, Matt Hardy, and William Regal. On the 518 Raw, MVP defeated Matt to retain the U.S. title on the 521 Superstar. So going into this, obviously, MVP was U.S. champion. Uh, on the 521 Superstars, Kofi defeated Regal in a, just a regular match. On the 525 Raw, uh, Kingston defeated Matt and Regal in a triple threat to get a title shot the next week. And on the 6-1 Raw, Kingston defeated MVP to win the U.S. title. And MVP showed him respect. Obviously, MVP pretty much babyface at this point. Uh, handing him the title. And later that night, Matt and Regal assisted Vicky Guerrero against Santino Morella, which led to this match being made. So a little title action to get the... Uh, to get the evening started. All right. Well, out comes Kofi Kingston with his newly won U.S. title and knocked off MVP, like you mentioned, on Raw. Out comes Regal next. Michael Cole says Regal has been cozying up to Vicky Guerrero and got the slot in this match as a result. Hardy's out last, focused and angry, handed a cast, wanting back his beloved U.S. title and then closed out by MVP. Uh, pretty good U.S. division. I actually like this little mix of talent here. And we get a good start. All four staring each other down, exploding into a scrum, early pairing off the heels and faces. Kofi takes the air first, tries to pace up, and MVP takes it down with an ugly collision. Both guys seem a little rattled. Regal takes over and grounds and pounds as the crowd is all over him. MVP slips, trying to do a tower spot. We get a Regal superplex with a very ugly landing. MVP seems a bit off after that for the rest of the match. Hardy gets things back on track. He has a flurry on Regal and MVP. Kofi heats up. He cuts through Hardy. And then Regal, great energy in his offense. It's a cool stacked boom drop for two. Kofi keeps everyone off balance. Bounces from one guy to the next until Regal shoots him into Hardy. MVP kind of wakes up. Hits a mafia kick and seems to be back with it as he and Hardy ignite the rivalry with a slugfest. The crowd's rocking as Regal hits an exploder on MVP. Violently spikes Kofi to the mat with a very physical assault. Uh, the whole match itself is very stiff. A lot of throws and collisions. Kofi catches Regal with a Thunder in Paradise and retains his title. 
I like this as an opener. I thought the pace was just what you wanted to light the show up. All four guys flowing in and out. No slow spots. I thought Kofi looked the best of everyone. He has a hard-fought win. Nice way to establish his reign. It was a little sloppy and hard-hitting, but kind of in a good way where it felt like a fight. Uh, MVP definitely seemed rattled, so that probably took things off track a bit. But, Scott, I like this as an opener. with two and three quarters. Uh, yeah, I, uh, I, I thought this match was pretty good. I gave it two and a half. I enjoyed it. 642, your match time. You know, on a side note, uh, uh, the side note is usually dark matches are, are very, are very, uh, short, but I'm looking at the, uh, times, the dark match time, Kelly, Kelly and Mickey against Beth and Rosa, 1524. Hmm. Pretty long for a dark match. <laughs> I just wanted to make. I just wanted to, to point that out. Um. Anyway. Uh. Yeah. This is a fun match. Six forty-two. Your match time. Uh. You know, Kofi solid. You know, we'll talk a lot, Jr. Over the next several shows about the roster and maybe some of the shortcomings. But I thought overall. Uh, you know, the mid card had some good talent. I mean, MVP was still solid. Kofi's a great worker. Uh, young. Uh, Regal's Regal. This is kind of Regal's like mildly pudgy phase. <laughs> he was, he would trim down again, but he was a little, little husky here. And, uh, you know, obviously Matt Hardy now not dealing with Jeff. Uh, you know, now the interesting question is, is he a good enough heel to kind of be part of the mix or was he turned heel just to be with Jeff? And, you know, now you kind of got to rebuild him in the mid card going against others. And that's my curious thing about, about Matt Hardy is does he, are there enough are there? Will he fit in the heel mix now that he's not really doing anything for Je with Jeff anymore? Like that was right. his thing right there. So I'm curious to see what happens there. Cause he was a really hot. I mean, he was totally over as a face, mm -hmm. but now you have, it's funny. You have him and MVP now switching roles because throughout most of 2007 and 2008, uh, they were feuding in the opposite creatively so it's very interesting but uh overall keithy i like the match you know you had good talent in here bouncing back and forth and and you know showing off the mid-card talent and showing off kofi as a capable champion so i i enjoyed it i did i did too i actually i actually went three three stars on this actually oh, i, I like okay. i liked it a lot i thought it was a great opener uh you know like the fast pace action i liked it um matt hardy the only thing about that is it, it's a shame that like matt hardy ended up getting not thrusted into the mid card or just kind of stayed in there yet his brother gets like the you know the rocket up the ass kind of thing and mm -hmm. i mean matt hardy i don't know if matt hardy would have ever been a serious main eventer but right. he had shades of it you know he had shades of greatness and um you know but this is probably best yeah it's best where he is right now uh does he have the did he have the the all the wherewithal excuse me to be the the big bad guy in the mid card absolutely I think he could have been a very, very prominent heel, very, uh, you know, kind of control the thing, ran the ran the mid card, I feel like. so. Mm. But yeah. Well, especially this, you know, being one of those guys we talked about, it just kind of crushes TV, like guys like him and Christian. <clears throat> Every week on TV, you can throw him out there and have a really solid match and be mm -hmm. a star. I agree. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I think that's a great role for him. And, and that usually equals talking, a regular pay-per-view match, you know. Right. You were talking about, like, how you're looking for somebody to replace Shawn Michaels in this case. I mean... Mm -hmm. The Hardys are those those two guys, really. Right. You know, mm. yeah. No, I agree. And I and you know maybe Matt's a guy you think about for a future world title run. I mean, if Jeff can do it, why can't he? You know, it's I don't know. I've always thought that kind if, of if Christian that way, but... can do it, Christian did it. 
Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, Christian is very parallel with Matt Hardy. You're right. I agree with you. Yep. Mm -hmm. Good call, Keith. All right, Josh Matthews talks a big show about his strategy while he's on his private bus and shows confident he will wreck John Cena tonight. JR and Todd Grisham set us up for our next match and stipulation. We then get a hype video for Chris Jericho taking on Rey Mysterio in a rematch from last month's classic, Scott. How do we continue this feud? Well, uh, JR, on the 522 SmackDown, uh, Rey Mysterio cut a promo saying he hoped to be as great as other Latin champions while also bringing up the heritage of his mask. And later that night, Jericho went to GM Teddy Long and demanded a match with Mysterio, though Long said Mysterio had already challenged Jericho to a no-holds-barred match at the pay-per-view, which Jericho accepted. On the 529 SmackDown, Mysterio cut a promo on Jericho and vowed to shut him up as Jericho came out and said he would injure Mysterio, and Mysterio brought up Mickey Rourke knocking Jericho out at WrestleMania. Jericho claimed Mysterio was being... Uh, was hiding behind the mask as he vowed to tear it off, which led to a brawl with Mysterio, clearing Jericho from the ring. In the main event, the two were set to face off in a tag match, and as Mysterio came out, a fan in a Mysterio mask assaulted Ray and revealed himself to, of course, be Jericho, before trying to take the mask off until Jeff Hardy made the save. On the 6-4 Superstars, it's funny how they use Superstars so much right when it debuted, and then they, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, forgot, they were into it. forgot about it like the other fucking, uh, <laughs> like the other, uh, 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 syndicated uh on the six four superstars jericho cut a promo on his attack the previous week and vowed to unmask mysterio here at the pay-per-view and on the six five smackdown jericho cut a promo on mysterio vowing to unmask him and become a nine-time intercontinental champion before defeating our truth in a match and mysterio would attack jericho after the match until officials pulled him off all right. Hot feud rolling on. Coming up, that great match. Some more really good stuff on TV. And now we have Ray's mask against Jericho's IC title. Jericho's very increasingly anger and bitter. Uh, no holds barred stipulation is perfect for these guys. Jericho's at the merch stand in the concourse. He rips on Ray being a hypocrite. Mock Doty selling his masks and then walks to the ring while riffing about exposing Ray. That's followed by a very stoic Ray entrance. Ray goes right to Jericho with an intense attack, driving him to the floor, battering him with strikes, whatever he can find. Ray pours it on before shooting Jericho back in, keeping at it, using an aerial assault throughout as well. Jericho turns the tide, gets into his dismissive offense, throwing Ray around, laying in punches, kicks, and stomps, crotching him hard on top. Back outside, Ray takes over the 619 around the post, crossbody off the apron. JR hypes up Ray's aggression as he's really bringing the fight. Back in the ring, we get a great back and forth in near falls. Quick strike and grapples into pins, and the crowd is engaged. Just quick strike, counter-strike style at a hot pace. Jericho takes back to the floor, batters Ray, smashes him with a first face for a suplex. Jericho starts to grind in the ring, tries to tear the mask off, but Ray fends him off. Dodges a charge, hits a tope. Lots of in and out here using the space all around the ring. Ray speeds things up again, tries to finish his rival off, but Jericho survives. Gets a nasty spinning backbreaker for two, goes back to the mask, hits a powerbomb. Ray dodges a lion salt, he gets a 619, but Jericho counters a springboard into a code breaker for a near fall. Ray drop kicks a chair to Jericho's face and then hits an Arabian face buster for two. Ray drop holds Jericho to the chair, springs into a Rana, but Jericho counters it into the walls. Ray grabs a chair and smacks Jericho to break the hold, tries a 619, but Jericho dodges and pulls the mask off and rolls up Ray to um, retain the title. Great match, uh, sick pace, big spots with weapons that flowed within the construct. The chemistry is perfect. The crowd was all in. Jericho cashed in on his promise as he ripped off the mask and took the title. 
back home. Perfect finish, well executed, and a hot flurry. Jericho's red hot streak continues on. And of course, Ray, we don't actually see his face, but Jericho does yank the mask off as promised, Keith. I went four stars if this is right in line with their last match as this feud continues to crush it. I, I also went four stars. Yeah, this is nine times Jericho doing winning the Intercontinental Championship. I mean, I love Jericho in any in any Intercontinental title feud during his run. I mean, he's always he it's almost like he loves that championship mm-hmm. more than life itself. So he always puts on classics when he's wrestling for the IC title. Um, and I would say that even over when he's world champion, and th- he just he it's some, he kicks it up a notch when he's wrestling for the IC belt. I feel like, and uh, this is obviously this is no exception to that rule. I mean, you know, um, I do love how it seems like it seems like everybody's always obsessed with taking the mask off of Rey Mysterio. Yeah, I know that was the premise of this match, but like it's just always funny. It's still still to this day, <laughs> people always trying to take the mask off of Rey. <laughs> Just he, he go back and watch WCW. He's been he's been on mass before. You can see what he looks like. <laughs> but yeah, no, I I loved it. Um, I loved it. Four stars. What about you, Scott? Uh, it's funny you mentioned the 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 Ray with no mask on. Um, because that seems to always be the part of WCW history that nobody wants to talk about. So <laughs> so it's like they want to talk about it, but then you don't want to talk about it, even though he was in. Uh, what is it? Misfits in action or whatever for or the filthy animals for what, like a year without the mask or whatever, whatever faction that was, he was in uh, without the mask. Um, anyway, uh, I, the match is awesome. Uh, let me see. I four and a quarter for me. Uh, your match time is uh, did they hit 20 minutes? Probably not. Let's see. Uh, I think it was they, just shy of 15. They went uh, 1443. Yeah. Um, now I gave the match at judgment day four, so they're definitely taking it to the next level with every match that, that there's no doubt about Jericho. I think with all, even with all the world title wins Jericho's ever had in his career, uh, I personally think he's proud. I I agree with you, Keith, uh, proud of being, uh, you know, the intercontinental champion. I think he's proud that he's the company's all time leader. In winning it, I think he's – and he does bring it to another level, and particularly when it's against a great opponent. And obviously, you know, Ray is no slouch. Uh, Ray still in his prime. Um, Ray probably wouldn't really, you know, be like old man Ray probably for another five years. Like, yeah, his knees at this point are not at what they were. And, you know, obviously this isn't like 97 or 98 Ray, obviously, uh, or even 02 Ray when he comes here. But – he still is bringing the goods. And one thing I, I like about uh, Ray as he gets older is he is adapting. He doesn't do as many flippy moves. He's starting to, like, you know, adapt some some kind of mat, mat-based strikes and grapples. Um, I definitely uh, feel that he's adapting to his age. And uh, this match with Jericho is just so good. And these are two awesome guys to feud with. I'm trying to remember... Do we? I, I'm trying to remember if we talked about this last on the last episode, Jr. If if they had feuded in in uh, WCW, probably. Uh, I don't know if they cross paths really. I know Jericho kind of does all the stuff with the cruiserweights, but I feel like it's not yeah, really with Ray. It's more like yeah. Malenko and then like Psychosis Hoovy. and movie and stuff. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know if they really cross paths. I don't think they did. It's crazy, right? Uh, it's almost like Jericho left right as Ray was. 
picking up steam over there. Yeah, well, he, I mean, it's funny because when Jericho really, I mean, Ray's been there since they were both there in 96. And I'm sure they, I'm, I bet you they probably faced each other maybe on like a Nitro or something and we're not thinking about it. Or maybe it was just an afterthought. But uh, I mean, I, I'm, I'm glad. I like it better here, to be honest. I think they're they're just amazing together. And with every match, they're they're amping up the intensity and the and the uh, uh, their chemistry together. So fantastic match. And Jericho, uh, you know, we we always you know he in 2008 he had that epic feud with Sean. I feel like Jericho was kind of trying to be that Sean, like trying to be like O2 Sean, like mm. all right, I'm now you know because Sean. I mean, I don't know what the discussions were in 09 about Sean's career and retiring and all that kind of stuff. We'll obviously get to that down the line, but I'm wondering if Jericho is starting to get that feeling that he's going to be the Sean guy now. Like you could stick me anywhere and I'm going to give you four mm. and a quarter. Yeah, I think he's just locked in. I mean, I think that Sean feud and that gimmick and storyline just gave him a ton of confidence. Right. And he's just running really hot. I mean, he had the great world title stuff. The Batista stuff was really good. And then, of course, the Sean feud and then the stuff with Cena. So, like, he's just – and then the Legend stuff was great. Right into this feud with Ray. I mean, he's he's been on the role of a lifetime since, uh, you know, right around WrestleMania – in 2008 so he's yeah he's i mean he's cruising he's locked in as locked in as anyone is on this roster and ray hung right with him so it's been a great feud uh with jericho winning you'll assume you know we'll probably get a trilogy and you know complete in our next show so we'll see yes yep all right yeah i I just want to say i did look it up um it's funny that the first match they had in wcw was on a nitro but then they traded back the cruiserweight title a couple times. Okay. So they had oh, a little okay. in 98. So 98, they came across each other, 98, 99. Okay. Makes sense. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Josh Matthews talks to Batista, but first we get a hype package for the match. Batista has had it with Orton's treatment of Ric Flair and says Orton will pay. I this is pretty good intensity and anger mm. by Batista. I agree. Uh, it brings us to our next match, another rematch from last month where Umaga had upset CM Punk in his hometown, Scott. And what's been going on with these two cents? Well, uh, I'll read the uh, build, and then I'll read what happens after this night. Uh, So on the 522 SmackDown, Punk defeated Chris Jericho by DQ when Umaga attacked him with a leather strap, and Umaga would cut a promo for the first time as he said Punk would face him at the pay-per-view in a Samoan strap match. So it's funny, Umaga, kind of like, you know, Yokozuna in early 96, you know, finally speaks, you know. It's pretty funny. On the 529 SmackDown, Umaga lost to John Morrison by DQ when he assaulted him with the strap until Punk made the save, and he hit Umaga with his Money in the Bank briefcase twice and hit a bulldog on the briefcase before accepting Umaga's challenge. And on the uh, 6-5 SmackDown, Punk defeated Umaga in a regular match. Sadly, uh, this would be Umaga's final pay-per-view in WWE as he would be fired the next day after his second wellness violation and refusal to enter rehab. Uh, And he would work the uh, indie scene in Puerto Rico while also competing as part of Hulk Hogan's tour of Australia. Sadly, uh, Eddie Umaga Fatu would uh, sadly pass away on December 4th of that year, 2009 from a pair of heart attacks at the young age of just 36. He was taking those diet pills and bouncing all over the place. But his legacy remains alive. His nephew, of course, is a current Bloodline member, Mr. Solo Sokoa, who incorporates many of Umaga's moves, including, of course, as we saw at WrestleMania, uh, the Samoan spike with the very taped-up uh, thumb. God, 36, so, though. That's so fucked up. Sucks. Sad. Yeah, that is. Sucks. Yeah. But another guy who, like, 
you know, I mean, he, I'm sure he was taking other meds, but there's another guy who mm. was trying to drop weight, but you know, I'm know sure he was all this stuff beyond that. I would, yeah. I would assume, but he, yeah. uh, I mean, it's crazy still that he's in around this long. I, I, I don't think many people realize probably how long this run was, especially with getting pay-per-view time. Right. Um, just a guy you, you would assume, you know, his big run was 07. I always thought he kind of faded away after the Batista stuff at, you know, in 07, and then he kind of hangs around for a bit. I knew he was in there early 08. Mm-hmm. Uh, fights Batista Mania 24. I kind of figured maybe that was it. But um, anyway, he's still here. Samoan strap match uh, is the stip. Punk is out with the briefcase looking for revenge. Umaga bashes Punk right away, gets two buckles, but Punk stops him. Starts to stick and move and pepper away. Umaga uses power to control whenever he gets his hands on Punk and then batters him with a strap, smashes the hand. Complete control of this so far limiting Punk the whole way with vicious strikes and dominance. Good spot where Punk gets knocked outside, so Umaga can't touch the far buckle. Punk comes flying in with a springboard. The crowd is checked out a bit here as Umaga blocks a GTS and hits a spin kick. Punk comes roaring back, gets three buckles, but Umaga yanks him back to the spinning side slam. Punk blocks a fourth buckle, gets a leveraged, uh, leverages Umaga to the floor. He can't hit the buckles due to the distance, so we get more of a tug of war in a great spot. Punk hits three buckles and yanks Umaga to the go to sleep and falls into the fourth for the win. Uh, kind of a weird match. I thought the crowd seemed detached a bit from Punk, uh, but they were working pretty hard. It was structured well. I always love Umaga's power offense. Punk's bumping is great. The corner gimmick limits the drama, but they thought they stayed away from the tropes pretty well uh, and gave a pretty good hard-fought quality win and something Punk needed, Scott. So I went three and a quarter. I thought this, again, pretty much in line with their, the match last month. Yeah, uh, I agree. Uh, I gave it a, uh, I gave it three and a quarter, same as you. Uh, your time, uh, keep trying to pan down here. Uh, your time was uh, 8.59, so eh, about the same. Uh, yeah, I was, um, let's put it this way. I think the time was right for Punk to do something, which we'll talk about in a minute. Uh, but yeah, I, I, I thought the feud was fine, but uh, the crowd def- definitely took a spell here. Um, and, you know, checked, I agree with you, kind of checked out. And, you know, I, I think Babyface Punk was starting to run its course. I think at this point, I feel like even the diehard indie fans wanted, wanted you know, Second City Saint Punk mm-hmm. and uh, kind of get out of this goody-goody, hey, you love me because I'm the straight-edge guy, but I'm going to be a dickhead straight-edge guy kind of thing. So I, feel, I have a feeling the fans were kind of like ready for that punk because he was, you know, the 2005 uh, ROH punk. So... I think that's what they were feeling like. All right, we've had enough. Um, you know, let's see what happens from here, Keithy. But uh, not a bad match. Uh, like I said, uh, you know, Umaga, we thought was working good in the ring. Um, we all know what would happen. But Punk definitely, I think, was ready for a change. Uh, I agree. I actually gave this three stars. Um, it was good. I think this match suffered from going on after the last match, you know, and that's kind of what took the crowd out. I mean, it's hard for crowds to stay up. That's why they have popcorn matches and stuff like this. Not that this is a popcorn match. Right. I feel like the next match is the popcorn match. But, um, you know, this was, yeah, this was, it, it was a good match. Um, I always, I'm not, I don't know. I don't know if I love Simone strat matches or any kind of strat matches for that point, for that. Pa- it's just, it's such a weird trope of like making sure you hit the buckle and mm-hmm. then, you know. The but guy follows it, behind. Yeah. yeah, but at least this one kind of did it right where it was like, mm-hmm. you know, it, it kind of ended the right way, I feel like, with him kind of falling back and hitting the buckles, so that worked. So, mm. 
All right, Gregory Helms interviews Christian about his match with Tommy Dreamer, which would be Tommy's last match if he loses. Christian jokes and says he'll miss hanging with Tommy, but he's going to win tonight. Tommy comes in and jokes back and says he will be ECW champion. Jack Swagger interrupts and starts to talk, but Christian and Tommy just walk away and starts to talk, which is pretty funny. <laughs> um, so that brings up our next match. It's a three-way dance for the ECW title, Scott, between Christian, Jack Swagger, and Tommy Dreamer. How did this come to be? Well, sir. Uh, as you uh, just alluded to in the promo, if Dreamer does not win the title, uh, he must leave ECW. Back on the one thir- back in the June thirteenth uh, ECW or January thirteenth, so way back six months earlier, uh, Dreamer cut a promo saying that his contract was expiring on June sixth, and if he couldn't win the ECW title before then, he would leave ECW and retire from wrestling. Fast forward to the 519 episode of ECW. Swagger uh, opened the show and said he wasn't leaving until something was done about what happened to him at Judgment Day. And Tiffany came out and demanded he leave as he said he was the face of ECW. Uh, She threatened that he would never get another title shot, which led to him leaving the ring. And she brought Christian out. And Christian said that he was done with Swagger and offered Dreamer a title shot after Swagger interfered in their last match. Christian would then defeat Paul Burchill in a match only for Swagger to attack him on the stage and throw him off the stage to the floor with Christian injuring his knee. On the 521 Superstars, Christian and Dreamer wrestled to a no contest when Swagger got involved, and Dreamer held the belt up and demanded another title shot. On the 526 ECW, Christian cut a promo on Swagger, who came out and said he had a title shot at the pay-per-view, but then Tiffany came out and said she was giving Dreamer a one-day extension on his contract and was being added to the match. The three men would brawl with Dreamer, clearing both men from the ring. And later that night, Christian confronted Dreamer about it, and the two brawled until uh, officials broke them up. In the main event, Swagger and the Hart Dynasty hmm, defeated Dreamer and Christian in a handicap match. Who are they? We'll talk more about them down the line. In a handicap match when Swagger pinned Christian. And on the 6-2 ECW, Dreamer defeated Burchill and cut a promo on either being champion again or saying goodbye next week. And Swagger would interrupt him and said, Dreamer would never be on ECW again after the pay-per-view. In the main event, Christian defeated Tyson Kidd. Who's that? After Dreamer countered Swagger's interference, and Dreamer would celebrate with Christian before giving him the DDT. So, talk about some new, right. we had some new blood in ECW. Some people I've mentioned will... Yeah, sure it's we'll been the trend the um, since yeah. they've kind of figured out what this show was going to be, and they've continued that, so that's good. Yep. yep. Uh, Christian's been driving ECW since the return. Swagger wants his goal back. Dreamer trying to keep his career alive. Striker Matthews on the call. We get all the entrances. Striker fills us in that Kami Dreamer's contract has expired. Got a one-day extension thanks to Tiffany to try and try for the gold. Swagger tries to bait a fight between the friends, but it doesn't work, and Tommy chases him down. We get a quick series of moves by all three. Ending with a swagger suplex. Tommy and Christian grab some weapons from under the ring, come in and batter swagger with them. Christian works over Tommy with a trash can lid. A striker talks about Tommy's brief ECW title run a few years ago. Lots of back and forth from all three, mostly strikes and simple weapon shots. We get some light ECW chance as Tommy gets a sent on plancha with a trash can off the apron. Back inside, Tommy sets up a drop kick to the trash can into Swagger, puts him in the tree, and uh, while he's in the tree of woe, but Christian trips him up and does it himself. Swagger comes back with a flurry of throws and suplexes on Christian, sinking to his strengths. Dreamer comes back in and misses a middle rope elbow. 
Then Swagger swats Christian down on a leap to the floor. Tommy fills the ring with trash cans and batters Swagger with a cane. Swagger blocks into a belly-to-belly. We get a big tower spot that drops Tommy into the trash can. All three guys are banged up. Swagger counters the kill switch, tries a gut wrench, but Tommy uses a crutch and hits a DDT to win the ECW title to a pop. I this is fine. They, they kind of mix it up. Swagger looked good in his offense while Christian glued things together. Tommy hit his big spots. The crowd vibe was weird. There's kind of pockets that were into it, but it was missing that type of energy that could have really leveled up a match like this. Uh, I thought the finish, though, overall was good. Tommy gets a big pop and moment, which is cool. It's kind of a career achievement award for him to get the ECW title at this point. Um, so, Keith, I went three stars. I, I think more for the moment, but that, that thought the match flow was pretty good, too. Uh, three's, three's about right. It, 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 three, and it's for the moment. I mean, the match is good. Um, it's not great. I mean, it's, it, it's, it's sad that it's ECW for the extreme rules and that's, you know, but, um, it is, I mean, God, Tommy dreamer. I actually just saw Tommy dreamer recently. He was at a chaotic show and I saw him and I was like, I just was sitting there and mesmerized thinking, wow, this is Tommy dreamer. How about that? Huh? But, um, yeah, no, I went, I went three stars. It was nice to see him win at the end, you know, but like, yeah, it was, it was okay, but I give it for that. Sorry. Uh, what do you think? <laughs> yeah, your, your match time nine thirty eight. Uh, I gave it three stars too. Uh, I mean, listen, I I think a lot of the old school ECW fans know this is mildly disingenuous because if you remember, and I know eventually, uh, you guys will get to it, Jr. Uh, in the extreme three way dance. If I don't think you've gotten there yet, uh, that Tommy does does win the ECW, the real ECW title at the back end of, uh, of ECW's run. Um, I don't know if it was 99 or 2000. I feel like it was 2000 and, you know, and then he, he never wanted it. That was, that was the whole thing in his original ECW run. He never wanted to be ECW champion. He thought it was cool that if he went, he went through his whole career and never won. And of course he didn't end up winning it. And so, I don't know. This just sounds so disingenuous. Like now all of a sudden I need to win the title or I have to retire. It's like, well, you didn't want it when you were in your prime. Why do you care now? Like, you know what I mean? I didn't, Mm. I get the emotion and, you know, ECW right now is just like, you know, a third brand. It's not ECW. Like I always said that even though I thought when they upgraded the belt, you knew that Vince hated the, the original looking ECW world title. He needed to like pimp up, you know, a Vince-ish ECW belt. And he had that big monstrosity, which I always thought was nice, but that's, that's not an ECW belt. It's just a big, beautiful silver belt. It didn't have that ECW identity to it. So I feel like this whole thing was just so disingenuous. It, it wasn't realistic for me. The match is fine, and <clears throat> I like Swagger. I think he's a great heel. Christian's Christian. You're never going to get a bad match out of him. And Tommy winning was nice, but I feel like the crowd, like you said, JR, the crowd, it's almost like, yeah, I mean, you know, all right, cool. Great job, Tommy. I mean, no disrespect to Tommy in general. I mean, everybody loves Tommy, but it's not legit because he did win the ECW title once mm. before when he didn't want it you know, nine years earlier, whatever the hell it was. So I, I think that's why the, the the match didn't have that juice because it's, it was a little disingenuous for those that are diehard ECW fans. So, um, but having said that, the match is fine. I mean, I gave it three stars. It wasn't offensive or anything. I'm just saying that, you know, you're trying to pull the heartstrings from old school ECW fans who are like, yeah, but Tommy won it 10 years ago and he never really wanted to be champion. So why do why, why should he care? And why should we care? So I think that's why the, the, the energy level, was not what it what it could have been, you know. ECW at that point was, it's it's dead. ECW oh, it's totally was dead. dead. At that point. It's a and feed. It was. It became a feeder. It became a feeder. Yeah. 
Well, I think it's smart because they rebranded it. We're probably about a year away, I think, from that in 2010. So I think it makes sense. Mm. Um, but I, I just think it's, you know, the name, I mean, the spirit's there, right? Like the spirit of the original ECW really was, you know, taking kind of veterans without a, a place and like young new guys. And that's kind of what this became after a while. It's, it's kind yeah. of in the spirit of the original ECW in its own way. So mm. it's just sad that Tommy Dreamer is the uh, yeah, Rocco. Yeah, I know. He's the Tommy like Rocco in the WWE. No, it's, 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 like, it's pretty much Tommy Dreamer is 2009 Dreamer is like 1996, 97 Terry Funk. Yeah. Except yeah, I not think as it's cool. More, so. I think I'm just maybe so engrossed in ECW that it was a cool moment for someone who's kind of living it right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right, Vicky Guerrero is warming up a Chavo in the back. Chavo keeps telling her everyone's calling her a pig. He keeps oinking. Vicky calls him stupid. <laughs> hits him. Just dumb. Um, the king is at ringside. Gives us a tour of the hog pen, which is fitting, of course. And then brings out Santina Morella and Vicky for this bullshit. Um, I don't know, Scott, is there any build for this stupidity? All right, let's see if I can waste some oxygen on this mess. Um, you know what? Fuck it. God bless you, Steve Riddle. We know you put the time in, but I can't. I don't care. Satina comes out, plays up the stench <laughs> of the hogs. Chavo brings out Vicky. She's in a gown, has the Mr. WrestleMania crown and sash. Uh-huh. King questions the outfit. Vicky says Chavo's going to join her. It's not a handicap match. Chavo's mad. We get some hog, punt, hog pen mud crap. Chavo and Satina, nonsense. Vicky finally comes in, but Santina pops up and grabs a slop bucket. Chavo saves. Chavo goes to slop Santina. Santina ducks. Vicky takes a slop. Santina slops Chavo and pins Vicky to win the crown. Colin King, yuck it up. Blah, 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 blah. Dud. Any comments from either of you? Can we move Dud. on? Dud. Shit. The only, the only hog pen match yeah. I recognize is uh, Henry Godwin and Triple H. I'm sorry. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> nothing beats a good, no, no, nothing beats a hog pen match where you actually need a tetanus shot. Uh, anyway, I feel like we made nice progress with the women's division overall, and then like we got this stupidity in here. Santina's run its course uh, quickly. Oh my god, he ran its course the five seconds after he came out. Yeah, Vicky it's, is it's Vicky's garbage. hitting the wall. Chavo's terrible. The whole thing yeah. can go. Uh, it's garbage. I mean, like the Vicky is GM and all this shit. The whole thing's fucking crap. They all they've I, all lost their luster. I actually Honestly. heard that the idea for this match is what killed Eddie. That's what I heard. But, you know. <laughs> All right. We got a Batista or <laughs> video package. Oh, God. <laughs> oh, God. Talk about saving we, oxygen. We then Jesus. see Vicky and Chavo backstage. Chavo's apologizing. Vicky's chastising them. Goldust and Hornswoggle show up. Goldust asks Vicky to sign expense reports for lunch. Vicky tells Vicky she smells like shit-talky mushrooms. They get to the office. Edge is waiting for them. He mocks Vicky for being a mess. Just two months after they split, Chavo steps to Edge, but Edge says he's going to prepare for a violent match with his wife. Vicky calls him selfish and says Edge is facing Hardy alone tonight and throws him out. Edge says he made Vicky and she's nothing and she's shutting him out. And Vicky says Edge never cared about her and he'll have no help tonight. And she starts to cry. Edge screams and says they're getting a divorce. I, I mean, again, it, it's I'm like done with Edge and Vicky. It feels maybe a little too real. <laughs> kind of like all of it. I don't know. It's, <laughs> the whole thing feels mean. I, I'm just out on it. It's a very, yeah. it's a very, uh, it's a very realistic divorce <laughs> situation. <laughs> yes. I think yeah, it's totally a great avenue. Can you please sign these vouchers for us, please? Thank you. <laughs> that was funny. Tense that, that... reports. <laughs> Goldust trying to get the report set signed was the highlight of the whole thing. Ooh, ooh, ooh. Can you sign these? <laughs> the 
Shiitake mushrooms. Shiitake mushrooms. <laughs> WrestleMania! Now, now that's five stars. <laughs> oh, it is. Absolutely. Totally. Triple H and Flair shit in their fucking pants laughing. It's like one of my favorite Raw moments ever. So, oh, God. It's so great. It's a highlight of that. It's a lone highlight of that garbage Booker Triple H feud. But anyway. <laughs> all right. To the ring we go for the match we've been talking about all night. And that is Batista taking on Randy Orton. Scott, how do we... Get to another chapter in the history long relationship of evolution. Yes. Uh, now we can use some oxygen. On the 518 Raw, Orton cut a promo on Ric Flair interfering in the match at Judgment Day as Flair came out and said Orton couldn't beat Batista. And he said that Batista passed Orton as the next big thing of evolution. And Orton said he could beat Batista anytime in any match. Flair revealed that Orton would face Batista in a cage match here for the title. And Orton attacked Flair. And Legacy would also come out, though Batista and John Cena would make the save. In the main event, Batista and Cena defeated Legacy in a handicap match when Flair got involved and he would celebrate with Batista. The following week on 525, Flair and Orton had a confrontation until Mr. Kennedy, who wouldn't be there much longer, interrupted and said he was coming for the title. <laughs> They're right. And in the main event, Batista teamed with Kennedy, Jerry Lawler, and John Cena and MVP to defeat Legacy, The Big Show, and The Miz in a 10-man tag. And on the 6-1 Raw, Legacy cut a promo inside a cage. And Orton vowed to defeat Batista at the pay-per-view. Kind of had that uh, Owen Neidhart feel before SummerSlam 94. Uh, with Rhodes being chosen uh, that night in a cage match, and it would be against Cody Rhodes. Flair would then come out and said he would continue to challenge Orton, with Orton saying Flair was retired. <clears throat> and Flair told Orton to face him in a parking lot in a fight with Orton accepting. Batista would defeat Rhodes in a cage match and later confronted Flair about his decision as Flair said he could take care of himself. And at the end of the night, Flair and Orton met in the parking lot and brawled as they went back into the arena. They fought to ringside and in the ring as the cage was lowered around them and Legacy assaulted Flair in the cage. Legacy would lock Flair in the, and Orton in the cage as Batista came out and scared Legacy away only for Orton to give Flair the RKO. This was a great build. Great build. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and another chapter in the Evolution feud. Another title shot for Batista, of course, this time inside the cage. Mm. Ric Flair's been heavily involved, driving the bulk. Orton saunters out, focused on the cage. Batista has his usual bombastic entrance. Orton tries to escape the bell, but Batista chases him down and drags him back in at a good start. Batista works the midsection, but any chance Orton gets, he scales the cage to get out. Batista recovers, grabs, and hammers hard with strikes. Orton's able to take Batista down and almost get out the door, but Batista staves again. Batista gets a power bomb, a uh, power slam. Orton yanks him to the buckles and now works over Batista. Batista snaps off a spine buster. Orton comes back again as the crowd is red hot for Batista. Really good heavyweight pace here. Orton tries to escape again, but Batista carries him back in. Can't hit the Batista bomb. Batista shrugs off the RKO, hits the Batista bomb, and wins the title. Uh, this is pretty surprising to me. A very simple finish to see Orton go down that cleanly. A uh, really fun power sprint, though. Really effective. The crowd was amped. A uh, perfect way to use these guys. Kept it tight, simple, hard-hitting, and a hot crowd. Batista finally makes good and pays off the story. And the best way to hurt Orton is to take his title and pay tribute to Flair. So well done, Scott. I went three and a quarter stars. I enjoyed this match. I did as well. Uh, as you know me, I'm a, a big proponent of meaningful cage matches. Uh, this match was not a dud like the one we just watched. I gave it three stars. Um, Imagine being in a room and being like, all right, Dave Batista, what's your gimmick? Uh, I'm a big guy who always gets title shots. Cool, let's do it. <laughs> um, I think that's there's two guys right now that have that problem, and they both <laughs> and that problem gets solved by our next pay-per-view. Well, one gets solved mm -hmm. the next night, the other one gets solved at the next pay-per-view. Edge and Batista 
constantly getting title shots in some capacity. Um, they both work themselves out in very different ways, but Batista or triple like the evolution thing, they just know each other so well. Yeah. And the good thing, the thing that I enjoyed about this is that this was not the main event. Uh, I, I was very surprised and happy that the other title match gets, gets the, the higher pub. So I was happy about that. Obviously there was a reason specifically, but still I feel like, uh, you know, if you had these guys at the, at the end of the show, you're like, Oh Christ, really? But having them in the middle and just be like, all right, this is kind of our midnight, you know, mid show main event. We know these two are going to bring the goods. They gave, you know, good length, uh, seven, like, it was only seven minutes, like seven Oh three. Like, really? I was stunned when I realized the match was that fast. I was totally expecting, you know, the usual, you know, 18, 19, 20, mm-hmm. 21 minutes, but no seven Oh three sprinted through. I think they, I don't know if Batista looked like he got hurt. Maybe it was supposed to go a few minutes longer. I don't know. But I was definitely surprised, Keithy, at how fast the match went in terms of the pacing. Uh, but I agree with JR. I was stunned Batista won. And uh, yeah, I, I was obviously we'll, we'll get more into this on the in two weeks, JR, as to you know the repercussions of what happened that we didn't know about. But I thought it was a good match, Keithy. These two always work well together, and cage matches are always fun. Mm-hmm. I agree. I went, um, I went three, I went three and a half stars. Actually. I liked, um, I liked the cage match. I liked the, the back and forth. It was quick. Um, it was quick. It was to the point. It was almost like Batista came in and just, you know, he made it, he had an exclamation point. He had an, you know, he had a point to make and he made it and it was it. It was a shock that Randy Orton lost the title, especially since they kind of seemed to go away from the hot potato, for the titles or at least the world title. And, you know, I, so I was, it was interesting that he, you know, he beats triple H in that kind of wacky tag match. And then he has like, this is, you know, his second pay-per-view title defense. He loses it. So kind of interesting that he, uh, he loses it here, but yeah, no great match overall. Um, yeah, I like, and I like Batista. I always like Batista. Batista is, it's like, what do you do with him? If he's not either winning the championship or fighting for the championship, it's like, you, you got nothing else really for him to do. Right. Mm. <clears throat> you got him in the ring crying about, Oh, he wants to quit. <laughs> yeah, well, we'll get to that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. All right. <clears throat> we get a video package for our next match, which is John Cena taking on the big show. Of course, this is stemming from, uh, the show costing Cena the world title of Backlash, Scott, and what's going on since then? Well, on the 518 Raw, uh, Cena cut a promo saying he proved his resolve at Judgment Day and looked to get back in the title picture. And later that night, The Miz came out and called Cena out only for Jerry Lawler to interrupt him. Show would come in, out and said that Vicky made a submission match for the pay-per-view between him and Cena, and he would attack Lawler and put him in the camel clutch. In the main event, Show would come out during Cena's match, and the two would brawl to the back. The following week on 525, Cena and Show would be part of a big brawl. And later that night, Show and Miz had a meeting as Show promised to leave whatever was left of Cena for Miz, though he said he would pin him in their match. In the main event, Cena teamed with Batista's 10-man tag I mentioned earlier. On the 6-1 Raw, Show was given the chance to choose Cena's partner in a tag against himself and Miz. As Show chose Chavo Guerrero, Cena and Chavo would defeat Miz and Show when Chavo pinned Miz and Cena gave Chavo the AA only for Show to knock him out and put him in the camel clutch all right if you're rolling on uh we saw you know last month cena couldn't hook the sdf led to submission stip 
Big Show stomps to the ring. King and Cole ponder if Cena has developed a new hold that could work. Cena's out to his usual mixed pop, marches for revenge. Cena sticks and moves early. Show mashes him with a big boot to plant him right away. Starts chucking him around with ease, flinging him right out of the ring, hard to the floor. Cena keeps trying to find a way, but Show keeps easily striking him back. Show shit talks Cena's and methodically batters him over and over. Cena finds a gap and cranks a chin lock. Show eventually flips free. Show brings a heavy heat to Cena's chest, busts out a suplex, and slowly works him over. Cena finds another seam but collapses on a slam. Show smothers him and cranks his neck and leans on his ribs. Show chucks Cena over the top, and Cole talks about Cena cannot get going at all. Show's wrestling a perfect match so far. He continues to batter the ribs, runs Cena to the post, gets an abdominal stretch. Cena tries to come off the top, but Show catches him in a bear hug and wrenches away. Cena takes Show down, hits a five-knuckle shuffle, slips out of a choke slam, and hits the AA. He rolls over Show and tries the STF, but Show breaks free and cracks Cena with a knockout punch. Cena rolls to the floor and recovers, shoves Show into the post, hits a guillotine as Show gets back in the ring. Cena scampers around, bends Show's leg across the bottom rope, ties it to the middle rope, grabs a crossface, and pretty much hooks in the STF, and Show finally taps out. I like this match, Keith. I thought it was long and a little slow. Uh, the story and structure was tight. Show was brutalizing and owning Cena was good with Cena doing anything he could to find a way and finally snuck in the SDF. I thought it was a unique style for a submission match and it stood out as different. I liked the chemistry they showed. I went three and a half on this. Mm. You know what? This is the era where I really didn't like Cena. Mm. It was kind of like, you know, I, I it was it was just I just couldn't I couldn't get behind him. He was being shoved down our throats. I was just kind of sick of John. Um, but this. This going back and looking at going back and rewatching it now, it popped me because for that finish. Um, and it just made me realize just how awesome John Cena is, <laughs> where he's able to wrestle somebody like a 20 minute match against the big show. <laughs> like, oh Jesus, this poor guy. Why did he draw the short straw? So I actually gave it three, three and three quarters, 3.75. Cause I thought I just, and that might just be because of how much I love John Cena now, going back and rewatching it. Um, Watching it originally, I probably would have given it like two and a half stars. <laughs> um, I did not. Uh, I did not love this match. Uh, I liked it. I gave it two and three quarters. Nineteen oh seven, your time, and I think that's why. I mean, I, I, I guess I've never been a fan of these two together. Uh, it was okay. I feel like Cena's in. In I mean, again, not being in the title picture is nice. Uh, I feel like everybody. <laughs> I feel like all the main eventers have all been in the title picture at some point in their lives. <laughs> so, mm. but I just, I don't know. This, this match didn't do anything for me. It was kind of slow and plotting and it was okay. I mean, I know it's kind of interesting to, uh, to try to see if, if, uh, if Cena can do any of his submission moves to big show. So I can understand the intrigue in that, but um, it was okay. I, I wouldn't, you know, if I, if these two don't wrestle again, I'm okay with it. I just didn't really enjoy seeing them together. I thought it was a little slow in plotting, but um, what? I was starting to get around on Cena at this point. See, I'm the opposite for you, Keithy. I, I didn't hate, I didn't like Cena from like 05 to like 07, mm. but um, he grew on me in 08. Uh, and I started liking him in 09, but like 05 to 07 Cena, I just, I absolutely could not stand him. Um, but he grew on me over time. And I actually started liking him in 09, but I, I did not like this. I was not in love with this match. It was okay. But I didn't, it, I didn't jump on it like you guys did. It just felt, I don't know, kind of slow and dull. What's the um? What's the match where he's? What's the match where I think it's? I think John is it. Cena gets thrown into the lamp, the light. Yeah, that was back. That was backlash. Yeah, that's what started this feud. 
Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. We were there. That was in Providence. Yeah. 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 All right. <clears throat> Jim Ross and the Grish reset us, and we get a hype video for our world title match, or WWE title, I should say, and that is Jeff Hardy taking on Edge Scott. Yet again, how do we get to this rematch of <sighs> rematch of a rematch well, of a rematch of a rematch of a rematch of a rematch? This is for the world's heavyweight championship. Uh, on the 522 SmackDown, uh, Edge cut a promo saying he was the face of SmackDown and that Jeff wasn't in his league. And Teddy Long came out and uh, said Jeff was cheated at Judgment Day, so he would give Jeff a rematch at Extreme Rules. Jeff will come out and challenge Edge to a non-title match with the winner getting to name the stip for their title match, which Edge accepted. Jeff beat Edge and said it would be a ladder match. On the 529 SmackDown, we saw a video package of Jeff's history in ladder matches and said he would prove his win at Armageddon wasn't a fluke and he would be champion again. And in the main event, Edge and Chris Jericho defeated Jeff in a handicap match and Edge assaulted Jeff with a ladder. And on the 6-5 SmackDown, Jeff was a guest on the cutting edge and they went back and forth until Jeff climbed up a ladder and looked at the title and Edge would shove Jeff off the ladder and climbed up himself as he unhooked the title and posed with it. In the main event, Edge defeated Rey Mysterio in a non-title match and attempted to attack him on the ladder until Jeff made the save, and he would beat Edge down with the ladder and celebrated with the title. All right, long bitter rivals. Edge has his usual manic entrance. He's rolling solo. Hardy dances out, walks under all the ladders. JR notes he does not believe in superstition. Grish and JR note these are the two best ladder match wrestlers in history as Hardy works over the champ. He's in full control, hitting strikes and a front suplex, fetching a ladder. Edge drop kicks it into him on the floor. Hardy comes back, flips Edge over the top onto a ladder, scales for the belt. Edge shaves and hot shots Hardy through a ladder and an ugly bump. Hardy shoots Edge to a ladder in the corner. We have back and forth. Edge traps Hardy inside the ladder, hooks a sharpshooter in a cool-looking spot. Edge scales the ladder, but Hardy barrels into him on the missile dropkick. Suplexes Edge onto the open ladder. Some really rough shots, all ladder-based offense. Hardy climbs and grabs his title, but Edge tips the ladder and Jeff hangles from the, uh, dangles from the hook until Edge bashes him and knocks him down in a great spot with a nasty fall. Hardy gets a whisper of the wind off the ladder, knocks Edge to the outside where they trade some offense using the steps and barricade, trading creative shots. They set up a ladder bridge, scale the giant ladder at ringside, but it tips and they both go flying through the bridge to a pop, just an insane boat bump by both guys. Back inside, they both climb the ladder. Edge leaps for a spear, but Jeff meets him with a twist of fate. Edge almost gets the belt, but Jeff pulls him through the ladder and traps him in the rungs, scampers up and wins the title to a massive pop. Uh, just a wild match. Some stuff was a little contrived, but good on them to be unique and try different spots and attacks. The ladders are used heavily as weapons, not just bases. Uh, you know, as Russell with hate and desperation you'd want, and the crowd was all in. A great finishing moment as well. Uh, well done for Hardy to finally get the win over Edge and take back the gold. He's now a true main eventer, just kind of trading titles. Doesn't feel weird when he wins. Uh, I went four and a quarter, Scott. Um, I... I gave this four and a half. I didn't want to because I'm not, as most people may know, I'm not the biggest Jeff Hardy fan, but this was a really fun match. Uh, this was a specific match where Jeff Hardy can adapt. Uh, one of the things I've never been a Jeff Hardy fan about is that he doesn't know how to, I feel like his psychology in a match when it comes to trying to figure stuff out between moves has always been abysmal, but it wasn't bad here. Like, I, I agree with you. I feel like, I feel like Jeff is starting to figure out how to put, the story together when he used to not be able to do that. And I was very impressed here. And, you know, Ed, you're talking about two guys who know ladder matches like the back of their hand. So, you know, you're not talking about 
two guys unfamiliar with the scenario. So I was very, I was not surprised at, uh, at how good this match was going to be, but it was, it was crazy fun. And even though I'm still not the biggest Jeff Hardy fan, I will say this. I feel like this match, he, he really felt like a main event guy and the crowd really got behind him and he won the title and the place went crazy. The timing was right. Um, also, I think like Batista Edge is like, oh Christ, Edge still. Like, can we move on? Have him go do something else. So I think that was another kind of added energy to the pop. Is that Jeff beating Edge is what everybody wanted to see. So I, I, I was very happy for Jeff. I have to say, and this was one of his best matches, one of my favorite matches of his. Four and a half stars. They just went a shade over 20, 2007. Um, but it didn't feel like that. It felt quick. Mm. It, Let's put it this way. Their 2007 felt faster than Cena and Big Show's 1906. That was just like death. This was not. I thought this was really fun. Um, and we were done for the night. Let's do the grades. Oh, or not. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. dun. <laughs> uh, this did sound, this did feel faster than the previous match. And it only got one minute longer. Um, I, I like this match. I always like I like a good ladder match. I like a good ladder match with guys who are good in ladder matches. You know, if that if that makes right. sense. No, it does make sense. That's why I love this match so much, Keith. You're yeah. absolutely right. And they're good in this. So it is. Um I I also was kinda like enough of Edge. You know, I mean he he broke through, which was awesome. I'm glad that Edge broke through because I would have hated to see him kind of linger in the mid card. Um he was the he was great as I feel like the number one heel in the company. And it was well deserving for him to be there. And I'm glad, but he was kind of just, he was one of those guys where he was on all the time. Like he was on the show so much, uh, not just this, not just show, but like he was just on so much. And even though he is the world champion, he is the number one heel and he is the number one guy in the company. It's just like, all right, enough, enough is enough. Um, the one thing about Jeff Hardy is, he still can't cut a promo, so he couldn't cut. You know, that was always my concern with Jeff Hardy being a world champion is that he's just not good at the mic business. And um, and, and he would have benefited. He would have actually benefited a lot from having Matt as his manager. <laughs> like yeah, having, I could have done something like that. Having Matt hmm. Hardy be his manager because Matt knew how to talk, but Jeff did not. But Jeff was obviously, you know, the charismatic enigma. So he was going to always be the guy, I think. He was always he was always the Shawn Michaels of the Rockers, you know, and, and that was the thing. But, uh, yeah, uh, thankfully we didn't have to listen to too many uh, Jeff Hardy world champion promos after this night. Because <laughs> I haven't done that in a while. Dot dot dot. Well, Jim Ross gets in the ring to interview Hardy, and CM Punk's music hits, and out he comes with his briefcase and a ref. Ross books it. Punk officially cashes in, and we are on. The crowd is booing as Hardy gets to his feet, staggers right into a GTS. Punk matches him for a great near fall as Jeff kicks out to a pop. Hardy gets it inside cradle for two as Punk regroups. Hardy tries to recover, but Punk cracks him with a kick. Hits to go to sleep again, and this time we are done. And Punk is the new Dodi champion. To booze. Crowd is not happy. Uh, I thought this was well done. The Hardy showed some fight. Punk takes advantage and smartly wins the gold. His reaction was good, too. Mm-hmm. Seems like potentially we're getting the needed Punk heel turn uh, that we've been talking about. And this kind of paid off last year, too, where he cashed in on uh, Friendly Fire. Tough ending for Hardy. 
after a great match and moment, but I thought this was really well executed. Sky went two stars just for the quick squash, uh, but I like the decision overall here. Um, I, uh, <laughs> like I said, I think I wrote in the notes, I, I gave it a five, <laughs> kind of. I guess it depends on your point of view. <laughs> I, I think this was awesome. Not because, and it's not nothing to do with my my ambivalence to Jeff Hardy. That's got nothing to do with it. I, I just think it's more for Punk. Punk needed this. Is, is it crazy that Punk needed the heel turn more than Jeff Hardy needed the title win? Because that's kind of how I feel here. Like not at all. Not at all. Yeah, I feel like I feel like Jeff could get it back. It's fine. It's Jeff. But Punk was slowly circling the bowl as this useless baby face. So Punk coming out and doing and and feeling like the look in his eye, like, yeah, I, you know, I, I did it. And what the hell are you going to do about it? <laughs> you know, uh, was great. It was perfect. Uh, probably one of the most perfect cash in since, um, maybe Edge's first one. I, I, it's, it was just really good. It, it worked out well, makes Jeff even more sympathetic. You really want Jeff to be over as a top baby face. This is exactly how you do it. So I had no problems with it. I mean, I mean, the match itself is like probably one and a half only because it was only two minutes. But the whole package, I give five stars because I thought it was perfect booking. It was a creative corner that needed to be turned. Uh, I had no problem with it, Keith. I agree. I agree. I went five stars too on that one thing. That's really funny. Uh, and I and I and I did it as as like kind of as you did as a joke almost, where it's just no, it was perfect. It was a perfect way to get to to transition both of those guys. Jeff Hardy's the kind of world champion where you know he's going to be back in the mix any any minute now. So it's kind of like it's kind of like passing over somebody for an Oscar to give it to the guy that's dying this year. You know, like you give it to him as like his last. Uh, all right, well, this is your you know lifetime achievement award, and now we're going to give you the title later on. It's like that's how I feel about Jeff Hardy, and this is CM Punk getting it because he deserved that that heel turn more than anything. I mean, like I said, I don't really love long hair Punk. This is kind of the this mm-hmm. is the end of that almost, and it's and it's because once he becomes a full blown piece of shit heel, that's when you mm-hmm. get the best CM Punk. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. I agree. Totally. All right. Let's get to our awards. Wrap things up here. MVP of the night, I think, after that finish to me was CM Punk. Mm. Totally. Totally. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right, LVP, I want the Guerreros. Fuck them. <laughs> that whole fucking thing was a mess. The whole thing sucked. <laughs> Terrible. Uh, I'll give it to the Guerreros. In gen- <laughs> I would just say Vicky, but yeah, I'll give it to the Guerreros in general. <laughs> All right, best match. Um, you know, I thought going in it would be Ray and Jericho, but it ended up being Hardy and Edge for me. Uh, I, I, you know, I got to look at my grades. Um to see what which which I gave the higher grade to. Four and a half, four and a quarter. Wow. Yeah. By a half a star. I gotta give it to uh I gotta give it to Hardy and Edge too. Um I no for me I think it's still Jericho and Mi- Mi- Mysterio. I think I gave it Jericho and Mysterio, right? I think mm-hmm. I gave them the highest one, yeah. All right. Okay. Uh worst match is uh the hog pen yeah. slop shit. <laughs> slop slop fuck. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, best moment I went I went punk cashing in. Oh yeah. 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 No, absolutely. Yeah. Actually, no, you know what? I went hardy. Yep. I went uh surprised that I went punk cashing in, but for best moment, I actually went hardy winning the title because that pop was awesome. Uh yeah, let's let's yeah. I'll clarify those two things. Yes. Yeah. Moment and surprise back to back. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Moment and surprise back to back. I agree. Sure. 
All right. Close second for me for surprise was uh, was Batista winning. Yeah, the way he won for sure. Yeah, that was. Shocking. But that's a close second too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Uh, final grade. I went seven out of ten. You know, this is a very good show. I think it's below kind of the top tier stuff we've seen, but it's pretty much in line. Outside of Mania, we've been pretty much between a six and a seven and a half every month. So uh, this is kind of toward the top end of those shows we've seen. A um, couple of down spots. I really hated the Guerrero stuff. And it was a lot of kind of three to three and a half star matches, which are really good. Um, and we had a, a couple of classics as well. So very strong outing. Uh, I would say, I'd say seven and a half. I think the only thing that's bad about this is the hog pen match. Hmm. You know, I mean, even, and even though I kind of shit a little bit on the ECW match, it was still kind of cool to see Tommy Dreamer win at the end. And, you know, it wasn't a bad match altogether. I'm not, I'm not a huge fan of like Jack Swagger, but I understand why he's there. But uh, no, I'd say seven and a half, if not even, you could be seven and a half riding up to eight, you know? I love the show. I thought Hmm. the show was great. Um, so I gave, I'm kind of looking back at, at our last few shows, JR. Cause again, I mean, two matches over four, almost everything else is four and a half. Really the only, the only thing, the only two things that pissed me off was a hog pen match and how boring Cena and big show was. Um, yeah, I think I'm going to go with you. I'll give it a seven. I mean, it's a, it's a really watchable show. Very smooth. Um, I mean, I gave Backlash an eight, and I don't think it's... And I gave Mania an eight and a half, and it, it those don't come close. I mean, No Way Out, seven and a half. I thought that was good, but not as good as... That was good, and this was almost as good, but not quite. So, I mean, I've... I've Judgment Day, I gave a six. That This was better than that, so I'm going to give this a seven. It's it's right around that level, as good as the shows we had earlier in the year, and better than, better than Judgment Day. So, I'll give it a seven, too. All right. Very good. Uh, so another one of the books, Scott, we'll be back in a couple weeks, continuing to travel through 2009. Keith, I want to thank you for joining us as always, my friend. Thank you. Always good to have you here. Be sure to check out everything on all of our networks. We're here on the PlayStation Wrestling Network, as well as the North-South Connection and PTBN Pop. Of course, we have a lot of video content and all these feeds coming at you as well. So just check out everything we have to offer across all of our social media. You can reach out to us at any time with ideas, suggestions, comments, criticisms, love, and thoughts. Continue to share the word. Appreciate you all. We'll talk to you soon. Take care. Peace.